0: Welcome to a special episode of our podcast series for financial advisors. Today's episode is a lawyer's advice on how to protect your business now and into the future. It's a conversation with attorney David Genn, Chairman of the Litigation Department of New York law firm Ellenoth Grossman and Scholl LLP. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. This podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com and on advisorhub.com, as well as Apple Podcasts and other major podcast platforms. If you're not already a subscriber and want to be notified of new show releases, please subscribe right on your favorite podcast platform or on the episode page on our website. And if you find the content in this series to be useful and know others who could benefit from it, feel free to share it widely. As we record this episode, it's impossible not to recognize how the lives of every one of us have changed and continues to do so on a daily basis. Even our own podcast recording schedule has been changing to allow us to deliver the most relevant and meaningful information at a time when you need it most. And I'm grateful we have the wherewithal and technology to do it all from remote locations. Because now more than ever, we all must tap into our resilience. With that in mind, it's my goal to create a virtual sense of community, to share information and ideas that will not only help you to gain clarity for today, but prepare for tomorrow. So I've invited attorney David Genn of the law firm Eleonoff Grossman & Scholl to join us. David, you might recall, was a guest on the show just over a year ago. For this episode in particular, I'll be tapping into his knowledge on how advisors can efficiently navigate this crisis. That is, to share the potential opportunities and the new risks that they need to consider, best practices for transitions, relief available to advisors and clients, and real-world anecdotes, that is, real-world anecdotes from the world as it is right now. While David's firm focuses on many different practice areas, he spends a lot of his time counseling financial advisors, RIAs, and asset management firms. Much of his firm's resources are devoted to facilitating financial advisor transitions. David has always been generous about sharing his perspective with me, and I'm thrilled to share the same with all of you. So let's get to it. David, it's nice to have you back, unfortunately, at a much different time than when you and I last visited on this show. But to start, can you just tell us a bit about the role you play at your firm and the types of clients the firm serves?
1: Sure, Mindy. And thank you for having me back. And uh, I wish you and your family uh, the the most uh, healthy and safe uh, environment right now that we could possibly be in. I'm the chairman of the litigation department at Elenoff Grossman & Scholl which fortunately and unfortunately has been extra active recently. But in the financial advisor space, we have and continue to represent hundreds of financial advisors and teams on all issues relating to their practices from transitional issues, uh, entity formation, succession planning, continuity planning, M&A, drafting and reviewing contracts, and certainly uh, litigation and regulatory matters if and when they arise. We're also now advising clients on best practices and unfortunately litigation prep. For a degree of relief, I'm also speaking with clients about NFL related matters as I have a sub practice of representing NFL players and I'm working with te- several top prospects uh, in this year's still scheduled upcoming draft. The firm more broadly has multiple practice areas, including uh, real estate and labor and employment, and we've kind of created a dedicated team to work on any and all available relief efforts for our clients.
0: Well, we're grateful for the work that you're doing for any and all practice areas. But with respect to the financial advisors, you're on the legal front lines and hearing from advisors who are trying to keep their clients calm and informed. What are they asking you and what advice are you giving them relative to right now?
1: It's really varied. We represent hundreds of financial advisors aside from you know, firms as well. And I'm receiving calls literally uh, day and night and at any time, and I am getting back to uh, clients as quickly as I receive an inquiry. And the conversations have varied from those who unfortunately are afflicted with the virus or of family members that are afflicted with the virus, others who are worried about closing their offices Worried about family members, employees, costs, you know, litigation issues, and overall, what should I and what can I do uh, type of questions.
0: And what is the best advice generally for how to weather such incredible uncertainty right now? And obviously, the everyone's health comes first and foremost. But from a legal perspective, what is your best advice for right now?
1: Sure. My universal answer is communicate. For many, including myself being in uh, an office in New York and living in New Jersey, we're mobile. We're working from home. One benefit, I'm not commuted. So I don't have that two hours or two hours plus of commutation time, which is empty time. And I'm open and communicating, answering calls, emails, text messages, reaching out to people, making sure their families are okay. This is the time to really demonstrate affirmatively that you are here and you're in business and you care not only about business, but about family and community. And communication in any form with your clients, letting them know you're here, trying to make the best decisions is paramount and will be remembered indelibly. On the financial side, it's, you know, the know your customer rule, speak with clients, know their risk tolerance, review the portfolios, and provide the best and most informed decisions you can at the time. That's all you can ever do. But if you're upfront and actively communicating, there's a better understanding. If you are not in communication, that client can feel quite lost, quite despondent, and you, you likely will lose that relationship over time.
0: Yeah, good advice. Thank you for that. So what sort of legal exposure do advisors have to be concerned about at this time, different than on a normal day?
1: Sure. The easy and, and, and obvious answer is just market losses. and And I think that's actually... A misconception and it's misguided that because the markets have declined, legitimate litigation will arise. I think those will be nuisance cases. It's the stock market, not the insurance market. And again, getting back to the answer to the last question, if you're in communication with your clients, they're aware that the markets uh, have not been frothy lately. They know where they are. They know where they stand and they know the risks and the works. But I think people uh, reflexively think it would be market loss related litigation. Remember, all judges, juries, arbitrators and otherwise are similarly affected right now as we all are. The more significant legal exposure is lack of execution, lack of direction, lack of communication. Had I known, had I heard from my financial advisor, I may have otherwise had the ability to contemplate and make a decision, or had that order been executed that I placed, uh, I would not have had uh, or sustained losses. And those are easily avoidable. Also, regulatory, very important to RIAs in particular, continuity and succession planning. Do you have meaningful policies in place? Is there a real plan in place? Is it being implemented? What if the financial advisor gets sick? What if the portfolio manager gets sick? What if the partners get sick? Amongst other things, the fiduciary is responsible to have all of these in place. And unfortunately, I think at, at times people haven't contemplated and focused enough on those. You know, unexpected yeah. and disruptive events happen during my career, stock market crash of 87, although I was in college, tech wreck in 2000, 9-11, financial crisis in 08 and 09. And I would counsel all of your listeners to review their policies and procedures, as well as succession and continuity plans. Again, if as an RIA, they are acting in a fiduciary capacity and make sure they're comprehensive and meaningful or prepare to amend them. You can't retroactively implement, but you can demonstrate current and forethought and remedy before a potential audit uh, down the road.
0: David, we're going to switch gears in a minute to advisors thinking about making a change now or in the future. But I do have a question for an advisor that feels he or she is well-situated enough where they are, have no intention of making a change. A lot of those advisors are under promissory notes or employee forgivable loans, EFLs as we call them, that get paid back out of production. And they are related to forgivable loans that advisors were paid when they moved however many years ago how does an environment like this affect those promissory notes and any best practices or advice for those advisors under them?
1: Sure. It could have a dramatic effect, depending upon how prolonged this uh, uh, pause lasts and how the markets ultimately react. I harken back to 8 09 when we had the financial crisis, and there were a lot of advisors in that circumstance. And I represented many. And my suggestion would be first play it out, you know, actually try to analyze where you stand with your book of business, what the obligation is, and how you can facilitate it, comma, if at all. And then depending upon circumstances, approach management about renegotiating terms. We're all in this together. And if the firm recognizes your situation, uh, clearly and objectively, hopefully they'll be in the position to renegotiate terms to provide a greater short-term comfort. If that's not available, quite frankly, uh, call counsel and we could discuss alternatives and what the particular facts and circumstances are and where you are and what the best remedy is under the situation.
0: And is it your experience, David, that firms whether it be historically back in 08 or 09 or fast forwarding to today, that firms will in fact be willing to renegotiate terms on promissory notes?
1: Yeah, I've had, as I harken back, I recall extension of repayment terms. So to enable uh, an ability, quite frankly, to do so. And I've negotiated those. Quite frankly, there have been times where advisors have chosen to move and we've settled by the way, I'm not talking about fifty-cent, dollar settlements necessarily, as people like to wax poetic upon. Uh, you know, which may have been 20 years ago, um, but even working out settlements over time, but finding a new place, whether it be a new wire house or uh, going independent, that's an option. And quite frankly, depending upon how deep, if it gets there, either litigating and or filing for bankruptcy, which would be unfortunate, but at times it's necessary. And it's not a disqualifying event, it's a, a disclosure on a license. And bankruptcy is intended for a fresh start, so although it's not a badge of honor, if it's caused by the current uh, circumstances and not customer-related or other issues, or, uh, then, then usually there's a greater empathy towards that. by future
0: employers. Got it. That's very helpful information. Thank you. And David, what advice do you have for an advisor who has been thinking about changing firms? And I'll tell you why I asked that question. We have many teams, probably almost a dozen of them, that were far enough along in their due diligence process to have either committed to going elsewhere or were close to commitment. And doing so for the right reasons. But the question is, what should a team or an advisor that is thinking about changing firms now or in the future be thinking about from your perspective?
1: I'll go back to the uh, kind of, I guess I'll use it as a buzzword, but communication, you know, communicate with that firm or organization that you were thinking of moving to. Where are they? What is its staff? but but even more than that there's a ton to think about you know practically you have to conduct a deeper multi-level due diligence process far greater than typical in the first instance is it feasible to move right now what is the size of your team what are their circumstances how are their families how is their ability to work remotely is that a possibility are the firm staff to administer a move? Are there people in licensing, registration, ACATS, admin? Are the regulators available to process license applications? Are technology companies delivering an available uh, to service product? Are the third vend- party vendors available for support? Are offices still open? There are a, a plethora of, of really deep questions that have to be considered, and that's just on the plausibility right now. If you get past the plausibility question, then you have to think about what's best for your client base. Are they prepared to accept more uncertainty in an uncertain time? How are you going to communicate with them? How are you going to get paperwork out, signed, approved, processed? So it's, it's a far deeper due diligence process than, than we've experienced in the past.
0: And I think that that's incredibly valid and the exact advice we are giving the advisors that we're counseling right now. So, one question you mentioned are the regulators able to process license transfers at this time? What is the answer to that? Is it a state by state thing? Is it a national thing? What does that look like?
1: I would say at this point, it would be state by state. We have not had an issue with that yet, but we are checking. When the issue arises, when, when the move occurs. Mm-hmm. So we have not, but, but most certainly the advisor, certainly us as counsel, and naturally the firm, all should be very cognizant. And it's very fluid as well. And things that might be available today might not be available tomorrow. And to be very mindful of that.
0: So David, you mentioned to me offline when we were preparing for this that you are working counseling several advisors that were either moving last week or planning to do so this week so can you talk with us about how that worked A from a regulatory perspective how all the things you talked about from the plausibility standpoint and the how the clients' reacted standpoint what does it look like now
1: Well I could tell you that we've moved Five teams over the past few weeks, including one just this past Friday, and they represent over a billion dollars—well, uh, over a billion dollars—in total assets over those five teams. All have gone independent, and quite frankly, they've all gone fine. We do this work for our clients on a transitional basis, on a, a flat fee metric, which has always been a good for all. I can tell you that. I've spent more hours than we historically do for our flat fee in this environment and come up happily, happy to do it uh, than typical. But it's, um, you, you know, it's really caused a, a super sharpening of the diligence and it's they've all gone well.
0: So let me ask you a couple questions about that. One, what were the primary motivations? Were these folks coming from traditional brokerage firms and what was the motivation to go independent before and how did this crisis play into the decision to go independent, make them more interested in it or less?
1: The motivation remains the same. It's to move to a different platform to better serve their clients. And I could say that was universal. Of course, it's the dramatic circumstances and unprecedented uh, circumstances we are facing that are different, not the motivation. And quite frankly, the motivation from folks I've spoken with, not only those who've left, we too have several that are in motion right now. I have a call later with a team that's uh, uh, in the late stages. Motivation, I've found, has become even stronger. And that motivation is to be in a position where the advisor or the team feels is best suited to service long-term their client base.
0: Yeah. And I I think that's right. What about any concerns about going independent and doing so without the backstop of a major firm or getting transition money, et cetera? Well,
1: somewhat I answered that, you know, in connection with a, with a prior question, but it's Inherently, when you move, there are unknown variables. And oftentimes, the unknown variable that most impacts an advisor is, am I going to get sued? Am I going to get TRO'd? How am I going to move my clients? And in this environment, there are many other unknown variables, which I talked about, licensing and registration, ability for the firm to administer third parties, uh, real estate, vendors, and client risk. So the reconciliation is a really lengthy, lengthy analysis of all of these concerns. And are you prepared? Are you ready? Is the timing right? Should you put it off? And those are all currently individually based uh, um, concerns to address. Some people have decided to put it off, perfectly understandable. (laughs) Um, And others have decided that they wanted to go through.
0: Yeah. What role does protocol play, meaning if an advisor is making what we call a protocol move where both firms, the firm the advisor is leaving and the firm the advisor is going to, including his own independent firm, what role does being under protocol protection play in, in a move at this time?
1: I think it gives an extra layer of comfort. I think it's a wonderful protection right now because it really enables fluidity of a move when the decision is made to move. Following the protocol, of course, enables the advisor or team to utilize its protections and the information which is sufficient to make a move. And if you are currently in communication fluidly with your clients then it will almost be a natural next step. So it makes it really quite frankly it takes an element and makes it even easier that being the client move. What I would focus more upon which I don't know historically if advisors do it in my experience I found they haven't but it's self-serving for a lawyer to say you should focus on things and perhaps make them a little bit more elegant because there's, there's a natural cost that goes along with it but the transitional part should be easy on a protocol, but depending upon which channel you choose, I think it should give pause to the advisors and teams to focus more on other issues like entity formation, succession planning, business continuity, operating agreements, policies and procedures. Many issues which you know I historically have found, and quite frankly, regulators, when they find it. Are, are all too often are taken for granted with the pro forma documents kind of like the rising tide uh, uh, hides what's on the ocean floor the receding tide exposes it and my hope is that my unfortunate expectation is that far too many uh independent firms could be exposed to having deficient entity related operational and uh, continuity uh, and succession plan documents in place
0: I'm going to get to with you. I want to ask you about the impact or the things that already independent firm owners need to think about. But let me just stick with this issue of transition for just a moment. So, two things. I could you remind our listeners just for one minute. You mentioned how being under protocol, moving under protocol protection, allows for fluidity. Just remind our listeners our listening audience, what is the fluidity that being under protocol protection allows? What are the things that an advisor is allowed to say or do? under protocol protection that he or she couldn't without it?
1: Sure. Many, many years ago, I coined an awful acronym, NEAT, and being extra NEAT on a protocol move, spelled N-E-A-T-T, because you can take up to five categories of information, name, email, address, telephone number, and account title. And that's the maximum amount of information that you are allowed to take uh, pursuant to the protocol. However, that information, with particularly, obviously, names, emails, and telephone numbers is quite potent in, you know, particularly, even more so in this circumstance, where so many people are A, available, and B, remote, to reach out and communicate to people.
0: So what about a non-protocol move? We get that a protocol move is always a little less riskier. And in this particular instance, the operative word being more fluid. But what about somebody moving? So one of the things that's worth reminding people is that in order to be for a move to be considered under protocol protection Both the firm the advisor is leaving and the firm the advisor is going to needs to be under the protocol, a member of protocol. So if an advisor, for example, is leaving a firm like UBS, which is non-protocol, even if the advisor is going independent or going to a firm that is under protocol, it is considered a non-protocol move. So what of the fluidity or lack thereof and how being a non-protocol move, how are you counseling those folks at this time?
1: Sure. Sure. That, uh, UBS would be akin to Morgan Stanley, uh, which both left the protocol at or around the same time around Halloween a couple of years ago. Uh, then, you know, I think the largest firm in terms of uh, financial advisor headcount, Edward Jones, is by institutional design non protocol. It never has been and never will be. Again, the counseling is the same and we put in Quite frankly, a lot of time with our teams in connection with non-protocol moves to ensure that they don't violate their contracts, their non-solicits. We of course try to obtain them, as I'm sure you know in your experience, some advisors have them, and it's not unusual that some don't. Um, but we counsel them in ways to honor their contracts while putting themselves in the best position to receive client transfer instructions as well. And getting back to, you know, it's almost feeling thematic, uh, but communications right now is the most important time in years, you know, probably over a decade, going back to, you know, 08, 09, for financial advisors to be actively super engaged with their clients, step up, demonstrate their value, demonstrate their integrity and their trust And and the reason why the client believes in them. And with this fluidity of communications, naturally, if an advisor leaves, even without the protocol, the likelihood is if that relationship is real strong, that the client need not be solicited to decide to move their money to be managed by the advisor that has acted as a steward through this event, but someone who's seen them through it as opposed to just, you know, the recipient advisor who often starts the relationship coldly with a phone call introduction and, quite frankly, sometimes not the kindest words uh, about the departing advisor.
0: Right. So that brings up the issue, David, of people moving to traditional firms. So you talked about how the five teams you've moved or the, the, the moves you facilitated in the last couple of weeks have all been to independent. What of an advisor moving to a traditional firm like a Morgan Stanley or a First Republic or a UBS or a, or a Rockefeller or something of the sort, what is the advice there and any sort of real world stories you can share with us about those considering those moves? Sure.
1: The advice there is these firms have been around for quite some time and presumptively will remain around, no issue. And there's benefit there for many. However, you're one of an extremely large number of advisors, at, you know, particularly the larger of, of the warehouses. And it's your book and your career relative to being one of the masses. And you should get your own independent voice and counsel to guide you through the process. That being said, ask the difficult questions and have the difficult conversations with the firm before you leave. And don't take face value answers. You know, don't take the, oh, we're, I don't want to mention any, you know, firm in particular, but we're up and running. We can do it. We can support it. We can do this. We, can, we have, you know, who? Who in registrations? Who in admin? Who in in licensing? Who is going to be available to assist me on the transition? Make sure that it's not a lip service answer, but that they have all of the support and personnel necessary to dedicate to you to move to that
0: firm. And David, let me ask you a question. We know that advisors thinking about making a move, whether they're going independent or to a traditional firm or anything in between, can't directly solicit their clients while they're still employed with their firms, whether they are under protocol protection or not. But these are sensitive times. And realistically speaking, no advisor is ever going to be comfortable moving without taking the temperature of his or her biggest clients. So how does an advisor get that comfort level without directly soliciting them?
1: again it's it's put that bear hug around in a real and meaningful way and by the way that's not merely to call with a quarterly or semi-annually or annual you know account update it's got to be real you know that that could actually backfire if it's a mechanical quarterly because that'll seem dispassionate and fake but a real update, a real I'm here for you, a real analysis. And by the way, perhaps extending beyond just the financial markets too, how is your family? How are you doing? How are your coworkers doing? Do you need any help? Do you need any ideas? You know, let's talk about positivity, the community, activities that we could all do as a community to ride this out. From my experience, personally, outside of just a professional, ordering jigsaw puzzles, recommending books, recommending various Netflix series, how people are dealing with childcare issues of, of various ages and activities. You know, there's now Broadway shows are available online. Perhaps recommend to a client that a nice way to pass an afternoon would be to watch a Broadway show. Just be informative and educational and caring.
0: I love it. I think those are great suggestions, not just for financial advisors, but for everyone. I love it. So let me pivot to what we talked a little bit about before. Much of our listening audience are already independent business owners. What sort of unique challenges are they dealing with right now?
1: Well, I mean, they've got, unfortunately, many are substantially hurted. Markets are down. Fees from the, the assets are down. You know, they have employees, of course, first and foremost, health, family, coworker, vendor, neighbor, client. So there's the non-financial and then rent, technology and you know, payroll. There's, there's just a whole host of issues that are unfortunately severely impacting most prominently on, from, from what I'm hearing, small independent business owners, as well as, of course, in the financial services industry, fears about litigation, the loss of client, loss of client confidence, and the like.
0: Yeah. So what relief programs are available to them if needed?
1: Well, we're creating up a, 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 a effectively a dedicated guide uh, from several attorneys in our firm. I don't think it would be very rewarding for your listeners who are I think nationwide for me to go through it is many, many are, are state and local, but we're, we're fielding calls and, uh, going through issues of particular impact on the businesses to provide meaningful advice and guidance rather than just, you know, throw out a program. And it's again, another word communication and fluidity. It's fluid, you know, and, and we're constantly updating that and trying to again, provide relief where we can.
0: Yeah, well, grateful for that. How do you see, David, the RIA industry changing as a result of this crisis over time? Will we see more M&A, particularly among smaller firms who may not have the scale to weather the storm?
1: Yeah, I definitely would foresee that. By the way, sometimes it's something that may have otherwise made sense, generally speaking, as an efficiency and economies of scale, but might otherwise be thought of, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, you know, for the greater good, not only of a couple of smaller independent businesses, but for the continuity of service and clients and community, better off to combine. And that'll enable, hopefully, you know, long-term health. And I do foresee a lot of that. I certainly uh, encourage exploration of that uh, type of activity. and And there is money out there there are firms out there you know we are a resilient community there will be opportunities and and there will be uh, acquirers and there will be acquired and people should look at all
0: well that that's actually a very good point david i think it's worth mentioning that Many larger RIAs that are backed by pools of capital that are well-scaled, that are experienced acquirers, are, will probably see a real uptick in their ability to some real buying opportunities, if you will, to acquire smaller, more standalone RIAs. And as we see it, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing for either. I think that scale, the notion of a rising tide lifting all boats is a good thing for advisors. For the clients of the advisors, both buyer and seller. And as long as it is a good cultural fit and it's good for all parties concerned, I think it's good for the industry as well. Would you agree with that?
1: Absolutely. It's an awful and unprecedented time. And it's a time of great reflection and analysis. People could be using their time efficiently and actively. And I encourage it and thinking about issues that. They may have taken for granted. And quite frankly, look, I'm doing that in my own personal and professional experience as well. I'm just not providing that counsel to those that call me. I'm trying to do the same exact thing. And if we could all utilize this you know, collective pause in part to create greater efficiencies, forward-looking, hopefully uh, the greater good will enable all of us to come back bigger, better, and stronger.
0: That happens to be my personal belief as well. My favorite mantra is this too shall pass. I have to believe that while this feels like a collective pause, and I like that term, I have to believe that we will come back bigger, better, and stronger as well. So, let me ask you one additional question. Mm-hmm. You, you talk a lot about the need for communication, and I think that that makes perfect sense on all levels, whether somebody's thinking about moving or not, whether somebody's at a traditional firm, whether somebody's independent or anything in between. But how can we all, other than communicating with our clients, what are some other best practices or just thoughts you have personally and professionally for how advisors can use this collective pause, conduct themselves during this crisis? Anything else you'd like to share?
1: I think it's kind of a, a, an amalgamation of various thoughts that, that we've discussed. But you know, sometimes people, and, and, and it might be that we've previously, and, and I don't want to you know sound altruistic, but take too many things for granted. Like they're appreciative if you just call and say hello and say we're here, and I want to just. I don't even want to talk business. You know, I don't want to hear about my portfolio. I want to hear how you're doing. I want to hear how your family is doing. How are you getting through this? You know, there's a great concern of naturally the senior class. How are you doing with your family? What ideas? We've helped people establish boxed accounts and Amazon accounts so that, you know, for seniors, they can order supplies and, and food to their home that they may not have otherwise been able or functionally prepared to do. How can you just be a better person, which, you know, comma, by extension, makes you a better professional, but be a better person first and foremost. That spans from childcare and issues that relate to, you know, infants all the way up. If we could all provide just and share good ideas of getting through this, we'll all feel much better and stronger about our relationships. And again, there will be tomorrow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I actually think that you're right. I think one of the things we've been talking about a lot is authenticity. You know, you talk about mm-hmm. in, a, in a really true and authentic way, showing up for whether it be your clients, whether it be your family, whether it be anyone in your world, your parents, your children, whoever it may be. I think authenticity is probably more of the keyword word today and more necessary today than than ever before. But David, thank you so very much for your time, for your insights, for your wisdom, for your perspective. We really appreciate it and look forward to talking again further. I'm grateful for your willingness to share all of it with us today on a moment's notice.
1: My pleasure. Again, we are open for business, and hopefully all of your listeners are still open for business. And uh, hopefully that's the way it's going to be. We're here to be strong and helpful. And uh, I know you are uh, working feverishly on behalf of your clientele as well. And I find it uh, invigorating and rewarding to hear about people trying to step up and provide relief and help, uh, you know, in these times. It's energizing, So uh, I thank you for having
0: me. Uh, My pleasure. And most importantly, stay healthy and well.
1: You too. To you you and your entire team.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: You're welcome.
0: I'm grateful to David Genn for sharing his wisdom on how to navigate this collective pause. His practical advice and positive outlook is especially welcome right now. I thank you for listening and I encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com and click on the tools and resources link for valuable content. You'll also find a link to subscribe for regular updates to the series. And if you're not a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the blog link to browse recent articles. These written pieces are an ideal way to stay informed about what's going on in the wealth management space without expending the energy that full-on exploration requires. Feel free to email me or call me if you have specific questions. I can be reached at 908-879-1002 or at mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please note that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. And again, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a colleague who might benefit from its content. And a special thanks to Advisor Hub for sharing this podcast with their viewers and subscribers. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence.